0: I'm confused in so many people have moved in that the number would move that much in a negative direction yeah
1: me too Mayor de Blasio me too clowns and jokers beware from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la up in oregon on 91.7 fm kyaq on the central coast and 106.7 fm queso in cottage grove out in pennsylvania on 93 fm wlri in lancaster Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the world on the Progressive Voices channel. Streaming on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn. GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and Blanketing the Globe five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Today for another action-packed, thrilling adventure as uh, New Yorkers head to the polls on Tuesday for the big presidential primary election in the Empire State. And uh, boy, oh boy, well, we th- there's already a lot to cover. Folks are just beginning uh, to vote as we go to air here We've got a lot of stories already coming out of New York, specifically out of New York City. And as I always warn on on these days, on these election days, um, sometimes it takes quite a while to find out what actually went wrong, to hear about the reports, to, to hear the to get the full breadth of the reports and the concerns. And then once you see the results come in, remember those results. Um, uh, aren't actually results in many cases. They are best guesses. They are sometimes the media AP putting together their exit polls and declaring one candidate or another, the winner. They are, uh, uh, election boards, election commissions, counties uh, having run through optical uh, paper ballots through an optical scan machine without checking to make sure if the optical scan machine's actually recorded the votes read the votes on those hand-marked paper ballots correctly. So it can take a while. But already, as I warned on yesterday's program that I was quite worried about New York, Uh, already we see a lot of the reasons why I was already worried. I want to say hello before I get into uh, work. Speaking of worry, (laughs) (laughs) here's Desi Doyen. Hi, Desi. Hey. Wanted to say hello. Thank you. It's our producer, Desi Doyen. Oh, and today as well. See how flummoxed I already am? Uh, Today as well, uh, we're going to be speaking uh, in a little bit with Ryan Grimm of uh, uh, the Washington Bureau Chief of the Huffington Post about a scam, frankly, that has been going on at this point, I would say, for decades. Uh, It's the prison industrial complex scam and the fact that so many, uh, particularly these uh, right-wing so-called conservative areas, You know, have looked to the uh, to the prison industrial complex to somehow make money off of uh, off of prisoners, off of private prisons uh, and uh, in lieu of, you know, raising taxes to pay for the services that people actually want. Because God forbid you should actually raise the revenue uh, to pay for the things that your residents, your citizens actually want. No, you got to do it in another way. And that way that they've done it now for a number of decades since the 80s and 90s is beginning to uh, reveal itself as the scam that it is. And it is beginning to cost states, in this case, Mississippi and its counties, a lot of money. We'll get to that shortly on today's broadcast. But uh, but back to New York for a moment. Okay, this story, I'm going to read you a few uh, sentences from this story. But if you can't stick around for the ending, then don't listen to this story and you'll see why, (laughs) because there's a surprise ending. So if you're going to only listen to the first part, then uh, turn off the show right now. That said, okay, this story with the headline, the fix is in Sanders supporters in New York. See votes switched to Hillary. This is a Huffington Post headline again. If you can't stick around for the whole thing, just stop listening now. Okay, so here's how the story begins. People voting for Bernie Sanders in today's New York primary are seeing their ballots changed to show a vote for Hillary Clinton instead. Calls began flooding in early this morning to New York-based ABC affiliate WGRZ with reports of voting machines across the state switching votes entered for Democrat Bernie Sanders to his establishment counterpart, Hillary Clinton, the station has spoken with multiple witnesses and is in the process of verifying statements from voters upstate naming uh, uh, several districts, districts 20, 21, 22, 24, as well as two of the five boroughs, Bronx and Manhattan, according to one eyewitness identified as Jason Jones from Manhattan. It was, quote, it was the strangest thing. The machine literally would not allow me to vote for Bernie. I have been a Bernie supporter since he launched his campaign and have absolutely no reason to vote for shillery. I've heard the same from several others coming out of the voting booth. Seems like the establishment will stop at nothing to keep this out of the hands of Bernie. Unquote. The rest of the story sort of goes along uh, those lines. I, I w- I've been getting uh, links sent to me to this story all all day, all morning, all day long uh, on the Twitters and via email. By the way, you can send me stories on the Twitters and the email. Uh, I am the Brad blog on Twitters. And uh, the broadcast uh, v- via email, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Okay, so thank you to those people who have sent me this uh, alarming story from Huffington Post. A couple of problems with it right off the bat switching votes, v- v- voters are seeing uh, sw- voters' v- votes changed. From uh, from Bernie Sanders to Hillary Clinton, well, that can certainly happen. We have spent years, more than a decade, on this program and at bradblog.com talking about how touchscreen votes do do exactly that. People try to vote for one candidate, and it flips it to another. Uh, and, and that can be because uh, of, of malfeasance. That can be because of just misprogramming. Or that can be just because those touchscreen voting machines are... Uh, Frankly, crap. So yes, that that part of this story absolutely makes sense. Uh, Here's the part that doesn't make sense. In New York State, they don't use touchscreen voting machines. And as I was reading this story and reading these quotes, uh, it reminded me of another story. From about two weeks ago, uh, exactly two weeks ago, when Wisconsin was holding their primary and I saw virtually the exact same story with no links to anywhere else for evidence. I went to uh, at the time they had uh, pointed to a different ABC affiliate to try to find evidence uh, of what they were reporting, since it didn't link link to anywhere. And uh, the story ended as this one does with the sentence. This is a breaking story. Please check back for updates. Okay, so the entire thing. Thing is actually fake, totally fake, and guess what? It's not even from Huffington Post. It looks like it's from Huffington Post. It's got the, the Huffington Post uh, headers and other stories, etc.
2: So somebody went to some trouble to make it look like it was Huffington uh, somebody
1: Post. Somebody did. But if you look closely, the address for this story is not HuffingtonPost.com. It's actually HuffingtonPost.com.co. A completely fake Huffington Post address that has nothing to do with Huffington Post. I've I've let the folks at Huffington Post know about this. Uh, I heard back from uh, uh, actually uh, Ryan Grimm, who will be our guest shortly, uh, confirmed that, in fact, yes, this is a hoax. It's a complete hoax. I've recommended they try to get these people to take down this site. We'll see if they do. Someone else, after I uh, started tweeting on uh, uh, on Twitter about this and pointing out that this was a hoax, somebody pointed to a, uh, a page at this same site, huffingtonpost.com.co slash disclaimer, I couldn't even get there on my own. Uh, Somebody, uh, you know, it it doesn't appear that there's an easy way to click to this disclaimer. In any event, someone sent this to me, uh, and that page at that site says, this site is in no way affiliated with the Huffington Post. This is a news and political satire web publication which may or may not use real names, often in semi-real or mostly fictitious ways. All news articles contained within this site are fiction and presumably fake news. Any resemblance to the truth is purely coincidental. Advice given is not to be construed as professional. If you are in need of professional help, please consult a professional. And then it adds at the bottom uh, with two asterisks. Today's question, can liberals be trolled as easily as Republicans? We shall see. So uh, that's the completely fake story about problems in New York. Do not be fooled. Now on to the real problems that actually are happening in New York, specifically so far in New York City. WNYC, which is a legitimate uh, news site, the uh, public radio in New York City, uh, is reporting that uh, some 60,000 fewer Democrats in Brooklyn are now on the voting rolls. The county of Kings, that's King County, Kings County, is playing an outside role in New York State's presidential primary race, reports WNYC, particularly among Democrats, as the birthplace of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Brooklyn figures into nearly every one of his stump speeches. It's also where former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has based her national campaign headquarters. Nonetheless, uh, WNYC, uh, an an analysis by the radio station of uh, Brooklyn... And of uh, of state voter enrollment statistics finds that the number of active registered Democrats dropped in Brooklyn by 63,558 voters between November of 2015 and April of 2016. That translates to 7% drop in registered Democrats in the borough of Brooklyn. No other borough in New York City nor county in the rest of the state saw such a significant decline in active registered Democrats. In fact, only seven of the state's 62 counties saw a drop in the number of Democrats at all. Everywhere else saw the numbers increase. Officials were having trouble explaining uh, this problem to WNYC. Uh, City, state officials could not come up with an explanation why there was such a uh, a drop in Brooklyn, seeing as such it's a hotbed of campaign activity this year with with both uh, Hillary Clinton uh, having her headquarters there, Bernie being born there. It also has the highest population in the state, this particular county, And uh, there are concerns uh, that it will lead to chaos at the polls on Tuesday. Well, that's for good reason. Michael Ryan, the New York City Board of Elections executive director, also could not explain why so many Brooklyn Democrats were bounced off the list. He said that there are reasons, however, why the lists change. People do die every day and they come off the list. New York City is a very transient place to live. People move all the time. That is true. But why the disparity in Brooklyn versus everywhere else? Valerie Vasquez Diaz, a spokesman for the city's Board of Elections, said a member of the board's management information staff said the drop was the result of shifting some voters from active to inactive status. And this is something that we've seen before. And this is something, by the way, that is, let's say, legitimate. The Help America Vote Act requires that the polls, uh, the the, the rolls be uh, cleaned uh, every few years, because, yes, people do die, people do move out, people do move in, and they do have to go through and, uh, and clean out those roles in some fashion, given the, uh, given the, 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 the way that we currently uh, do our voter registration in this country. But uh, it doesn't explain uh, why so many were dropped seemingly from the list. Now, this original report from WNYC had 60,000 voters, 60,000 Democratic voters. And uh, there was only an increase of 10,000 inactive voters. So if people were moved from active to inactive on these lists, uh, what happened to the other 50,000? So there's a lot of questions. Now, The when I refer to active to inactive, basically it is done differently everywhere. But we've seen this uh, also in other states throughout this election cycle. Uh, basically, if you don't vote... In a federal election, in the last two federal elections, uh, many jurisdictions will send you a note to say, Hey, are you still here? Are you an active voter? And if uh, if those notices get bounced back from the post office to say, you know, this person no longer lives here, then that person is finally removed from the rolls. It's supposed to be a multiple step process, and it usually is. Uh, but some people can end up for various reasons. Let's say, uh, at, 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 you know, at the time that the notice is sent to this person, they happen to be out of the country, or, or uh, you know, they're they're gone for the summer, and they've asked that their mail be forwarded elsewhere. That can trigger somebody to be removed as well. So uh, there are some concerns about it, and those concerns uh, have grown over the past 24 hours as Mayor Bill de Blasio has now ordered the New York City Board of Elections to investigate why that more than 63,000 registered Democrats were suddenly dropped from the rolls since last fall. But now new data from from WNYC shows that uh, the Board of Elections actually removed 126,000 Brooklyn Democrats from the rolls, according to the executive director, Michael Ryan. That would include 12,000 people who moved out of the borough, 44,000 people who were moved from active to inactive status, and 70,000 voters who were then removed from the inactive list. Mayor de Blasio uh, told NY, WNYC he was quite curious, quite concerned uh, about these, uh, these changing numbers.
0: Now, this number surprises me. I admit that uh, Brooklyn has had a lot of transient population. That is obvious. A lot of people moving in, a lot of people moving out. That might account for some of it. But I'm confused in some way people have moved in that the number would move that much in a negative direction.
1: Board of Elections Director uh, Michael Ryan told the uh, public radio outlet that Brooklyn was a little behind with its list maintenance tasks. So that instead of doing this uh, this list maintenance on a rolling basis, as most jurisdictions do, they suddenly there was a backlog and they suddenly did it over the past several months. And that that explains uh, why Suddenly, over the past uh, six months or so, uh, all of these uh, voters got removed. I'm sure there will be investigations, and I'm sure that people who went to the polls on Tuesday uh, will find themselves not on the rolls as they thought they were on the rolls. Many of those people... Uh, will find that they can't vote in the uh, Republican or the Democratic primary in New York State because they still use closed primaries. So if you are not already registered as a Democrat or already registered as a Republican, talked about it on yesterday's program, you had to do this if you wanted to change your party affiliation from no party affiliation to Republican or Democrat. You had to do that by October of last year, the longest uh, deadline in this in the country, I think, uh, to change voter registration before an election. It is absolutely ridiculous, to be frank, that they that you have to do it that many months in advance. But them's the rules, and uh, we will learn how many people are are paying the price, how many voters are paying the price for those New York rules, which, frankly, really, really need to be updated. All of that said, if you are hearing my voice uh, and, and the polls are not yet closed, And frankly, if you're hearing my voice uh, and your state hasn't even had your primary yet, this will also apply to you. If you show up at the polling place and you are not on the voting rolls, you are still entitled to cast a vote, at least what is called a provisional ballot. In New York, it's called an affidavit ballot, but it's the same thing, a provisional or affidavit ballot. You get to vote now. That vote is put into a, a, a special box to be examined again later uh, to be determined if, in fact, that uh, the reason you're not on the uh, on the rolls is due to an error that uh, uh, they made at the county headquarters and if your vote should, in fact, be counted. And as a matter of fact, there is currently a lawsuit. Uh, That has been uh, uh, put together by a group by the name of uh, Election Justice USA, and uh, they are trying to get a lot of these votes counted. Uh, These provisional ballots, these affidavit ballots uh, for people who have reportedly been removed incorrectly from the rolls or had their affiliation, their party affiliation changed for some reason. So if you are at those polls uh, in New York or in any other state and you find a problem with your registration, don't leave. Don't walk away. You are entitled to cast a vote. May have to fight about it uh, later uh, to, to get it counted, but if you walk away and if you don't cast a provisional vote or an affidavit vote, then it's definitely won't be counted. You'll hear a lot of people say, oh, provisional votes are never counted. That is not true. They are counted, not at the rate of regular ballots, but they are counted. So uh, don't give up. Cast your vote. And then the fight will continue to see if we can actually get it counted and counted accurately or not. Okay, so that is something we will be keeping our eyes on in the days ahead, what happened uh, to all of those registrations and were people removed from the rolls properly or improperly. In the meantime, uh, other reports uh, around, uh, mostly for the moment, around New York City, uh, but I suspect we'll hear more in the days ahead, problems around the rest of the state. The rest, Much of the rest of the state did not start voting until noon, as I mentioned uh, on yesterday's program. As I explained on yesterday's program, uh, that, is, it, that is by statute in New York State. It has been that way for a long, long time. Mo- uh, most of the counties around the state don't start voting until noon local time, and uh, the polls remain open until 9 p.m., New York City and the counties right around it, they get to start voting earlier uh, at 6 a.m. And at 6 a.m., a lot of people showed up to vote in places like Brooklyn and Queens and found, guess what? They couldn't vote. According to the New York Daily News, uh, New York primary voting at some Brooklyn and Queens polling places was a disaster on Tuesday morning. With early morning voters arriving to broken machines and belated polling, Queens resident George Mack, for example, said he came to PS 52 in Springfield Gardens to vote right at 6 a.m. He and about 50 other early voters learned that all three machines on site were broken.
2: What kind of machines were these?
1: These are optical scan machines. As I mentioned earlier, they don't use touchscreens in New York City. They use optical scan machines. So this is important. Uh, So all three machines on on the site were were broken. Volunteers at the school told voters to place their ballot in a slot and they would all get processed later. Quote, it's a recipe for disaster, said George Mack, uh, who voted for Hillary Clinton. Somebody at the end of the day is going to feed the ballots through a machine. I don't have confidence in that. Okay, here's the deal. I understand that you don't have confidence in that. And the idea that if you scan that ballot right then and there, you should have more confidence that it will be counted or, accurately is uh, also kind of similarly misplaced. I've I've heard uh, problems because and I'll get to a few more here of, uh, of polling places where people were not able to vote for various reasons, uh, either because the machines were down or the uh, the poll judges did not show up to open the site on time. But there is no reason for voting to stop in the case of a broken optical scan machine. I've heard a lot of people so far reporting throughout the day voting has stopped because the machines were down. Voting does not need to stop when you're dealing with hand marked paper ballots. You can still fill out those paper ballots, put them into the emergency ballot box or whatever they call it there. uh, And then those ballots will get scanned later on in the day or the night back at the county or right then and there at the precinct if they fix those optical scan machines. So once again, vote. If you're there to vote, vote. Don't walk away. Don't let anybody tell you voting has stopped because the optical scan machines are down. Now, had they used touchscreen voting machines at these places, then, yes, it might have been difficult or impossible to cast your vote when those touchscreen voting machines go down. That's just one reason why I have argued for so many years that it is absolutely insane to use a touchscreen voting machine in any election ever in this country, other than if you know some uh, disabled voters may need uh, assistive technology to vote. But even then, frankly, there's other better systems than touchscreens. But so, yes, you can vote and that ballot uh, will be scanned, whether it will be counted accurately, I can't tell you. But I can't tell you if it's uh, scanned accurately, even if the optical scan machines at the polling place are working when you cast your vote. There is no way to know if those optical scan machines will uh, record your vote accurately unless you count those paper ballots by hand, begging the question of why we use the goddamn optical scan machines in the first place. So, uh, we're seeing reports like that. I'll hit uh, one or two more be- here before we, get to, uh, before we get to a break. Um, uh, voters at Cooper Park Houses in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, again, couldn't even get close to a, a machine. More than two hours after polls were supposed to open at 6 a.m., the site was still closed. Cooper Park Houses' polling site is not yet open, said voter, uh, voter Rebecca Keith. Uh, She tweeted and adding, good morning, disenfranchisement. (laughs) A similar snafu happened at the Atlantic Terminal in Brooklyn, which didn't open until 730. The keys to the building had not yet arrived. Apparently, a voter said she came back at 730. They had just gotten the key upon entering. There were no voting machines. Hopefully there were paper ballots, however, and those voters could still vote. So we will be keeping our eyes on problems like this uh, throughout the day, throughout the week. I suspect we will hear a lot more of them in the days ahead and that we will be covering this in, in much more detail tomorrow yeah, it's, on the broadcast. I have to say yeah. it's
2: nice to see that people are caring about voting and the rules for voting now.
1: Is that you trying to? Uh, hey, at least uh, conf- it's not the general election when <laughs> yeah. all this is okay. happening,
2: right? Yeah, that's well, our early warning system. Wh- wh- we got a problem. What
1: did they used to call Carl Rove? Uh, turd, uh, turd, turd blossom. blossom, because he was able to <laughs> polish any turd, basically. <laughs> like is that, that what you're trying to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, so there you go. But let's uh, distinguish uh, between a real. Uh, problems at the polls and fake hoax ones, like I talked about, and frankly, real versus fake solutions. One of the solutions is not to walk away, it's to fight like hell for your vote. Okay. Turning the page here uh, for a moment um, to uh, before we get to a break to set up our, our next conversation with Ryan Grimm. Uh, this comes from AP today. After he became Kansas governor in 2011, Sam Brownback slashed personal income taxes on the promise that the deep cuts would trigger a furious wave of hiring and expansion by businesses. But that, quote, shot of adrenaline hasn't worked as envisioned, and uh, the state of Kansas' budget has been in crisis ever since. Now, many of the same Republicans who helped pass Brownback's plan are in open revolt, refusing to help the governor cut spending so he can avoid rolling back any of his signature tax measures. If Brownback won't consider any of the tax cuts, they say... He will have to figure out for himself how to balance the budget in face of disappointing revenue. Boy, who could have seen that coming, huh? Tax collections missed projections in 11 months of the past year. Brownback took office on a pledge. Brownback, a hard right-wing Republican, a hard right-wing Reagan Republican, who promised to bring Reaganism full bore to the state of Kansas, He took office on a pledge to make Kansas friendlier to businesses and successfully sought to cut the top personal income tax rate by 29% and exempt more than 330,000 farmers and business owners from income taxes altogether. And, of course, that would uh, spur jobs. That would, uh, in turn, would would bring an increase in the, uh, the tax base uh, coming in, the revenue coming in. Turns out it didn't work. It never works. It didn't work when Ronald Reagan tried it. It doesn't work ever. The predicted job growth from business expansions has not happened, says AP, leaving the state persistently short of money. Since November, tax collections have fallen about $81 million, or 1.9% below the current forecast's predictions. Last month, all of this caused Brownback to order $17 million in immediate reductions to universities. And earlier this month, That delayed 93, he delayed $93 million in contributions to pensions for school teachers and community college employees. The state has also siphoned off more than $750 million from highway projects to other parts of the budget over the past two years. So the uh, rich people got a tax break. Businesses didn't have to pay taxes at all. And who paid the price for these schemes that simply do not work? Oh, it was uh, college students. And school teachers and community college employees and people who use the roads and the highways and the bridges. By the way, all 40 Senate seats and 125 House seats in the state of Kansas are on the ballot this November. Just saying, people of Kansas. And the bulk, the vast bulk of those people on the ballot uh, voted for what Sam Brownback did. No matter if they are now trying to say, oh, we, we, we would like to change it. We had nothing to do with it. They were in favor of it from the jump. They celebrated it. I hope you'll remind them about that this November at the ballot box. Brownback has since rejected calls to scale back his tax cuts. He shows no sign of backing down. But even an economist for the Conservative Tax Foundation, Scott Drinkard, uh, told legislators last month that farmers and business owners appeared to pocket the extra money that they got from the recent tax cuts rather than use it for expansion. Quote, tax avoidance, not job creation. Oh, imagine that. What? They didn't... uh, Hire people because they had more money in their pocket? Nobody does. They don't hire more people unless the demand goes up. They don't just create jobs because, oh, they got a tax cut. So let's hire people for fun. They don't do that. It never works. Reaganomics is a joke. It is exactly, frankly, what George Bush Sr. said it was. Voodoo economics. It does not work. No matter how many times Republicans lie to their voters about it. The state's personal income tax collections dropped 24% during its 2014 budget year. That's down $713 million. Official projections for the 2017 fiscal year is less than $2.5 billion, 15% off the uh, off the peak of 2013. Meanwhile, Kansas reported gaining only 800 private sector jobs between March of 2015 and March of 2016. That is a mere 0.1 percent increase. That's Reaganism. That's Republicanism. That is so-called conservatism. And it is costing the, uh, the good folks of Kansas dearly. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about uh, how this same sort of scheme is now hurting the good folks of uh, the great state of Mississippi dearly and how it may be hurting a state near you. If we continue to fall for these right wing austerity tax cut scams, I'm Brad Friedman and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution I hear something saying uh,
2: ah Ah. you know that's the sound of the men working on the chain gang that's the sound of the men working on the chain gain all day long they're well,
1: saying, it's not a chain gain per, per se but but pretty close welcome back to the broadcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here uh, back in 2012 at bradblog.com uh Ernest A Canning our legal analyst wrote a three part series on uh, on the so-called war on drugs, asking a number of disturbing questions. Among them, he looked at the profitability of the prison industrial complex, as he described it, in the U.S., and the extent to which the world's largest prison population provides a ready source of what he kind of accurately describes as slave labor for some of the world's largest corporations. He cites a, a, a film called uh, The American Drug War, The Last White Hope, and reporting by Vicki Pelez of Global Research, finding that the size of the U.S. prison population, which is disproportionately comprised of African-Americans and Hispanics, is the product of two perverse economic incentives. One, a, pri- a privatized prison industry whose financial success is dependent upon greater numbers of prisoners serving lengthier sentences. And two the availability of a slave labor pool to corporate America. He cites a number of uh, uh, corporations in at least 37 different states that uh, take advantage of this uh, so-called uh, prison labor. Companies such as IBM, Boeing, Motorola, Microsoft, AT&T, Target, and so forth. Between 1980 and 1994, profits from prison labor soared from $392 million to $1.3 billion. And uh, while some inmates receive minimum wage in privately run prisons, it's reported they receive as little as 17 cents per hour. Pelez's article over Global Research quotes Kevin Mannix, the former chairman of the Oregon GOP, underscoring how this form of labor has furnished an attractive alternative to outsourcing. Mannix. Uh, recently urged Nike to cut its production in in Indonesia and bring it to his state, telling the shoe manufacturer that there won't be any transportation costs. We're offering you competitive prison labor here. That's a quote. That's something to bear in mind next time you hear a Republican crowing about jobs creation in this country. In short, legalization poses a direct, uh, this is talking about uh, drug legalization, uh, poses a direct threat to corporate America's bottom line, Canning reported at Bradblog.com, and the war on drugs, and you deplete the available pool of prison slave labor, as well as the profitability of private prisons. But uh, there's another element to all of this. Late last week at Huffington Post, Washington Bureau Chief Ryan Grimm reported on another disturbing aspect or two of the privatized prison industrial complex. He writes, uh, Mississippi jails are losing inmates and local officials are devastated by the loss of revenue. He quotes one county supervisor, noting that uh, if they do not send our inmates back, we can't make it. That's right. Over the past several decades, many states and counties have come to count on revenue brought in by housing prisoners, particularly in many of these so-called conservative areas where officials continue to lower taxes for the wealthy or otherwise refuse to raise taxes to meet the needs of residents. Uh, The decreasing number of prisoners, particularly as sentences for minor nonviolent drug crimes are being lifted, are beginning to hurt the bottom lines of official state and county budgets around the country. Joining us now to talk about this is Huffington Post Washington Bureau Chief Ryan Grimm. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: So your story in in Mississippi is enlightening, and I think it's really uh, about much more than Mississippi ultimately. But uh, what the hell is happening here? You're writing about Mississippi, and I suspect this is an issue we're likely to see elsewhere. How did this reliance on income from prison population get started in Mississippi in the first place
0: so in the in the late '90s, the state was facing uh, massive overcrowding issues you know, as the era of mass incarceration was really you know hitting its peak and starting mm-hmm. to plateau there, and so they reached out to the state reached out to the counties and said, "We would love to help you build uh, regional facilities, mm-hmm. and we will." Uh, then send you state prisoners, so you'll get, uh, you know, 35 to 45 full-time jobs here, uh, and you'll get the construction jobs that come along with building the prison. Mm-hmm. And we'll promise to keep the prisons filled at an 80 percent capacity. Now they also promised that they would give a three uh, percent per diem increase, you know, year year out year over year, to mm-hmm. help c- cover the costs of the prisoners. After a couple years they stopped doing that and they said well look we've got so many prisoners we'll just keep pushing you up over the 80% number so that's gravy for you you know you got empty beds we're going to fill them and and every time we fill them you get money uh and so the 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 county said okay that's fine so, the, uh, now, so they actually changed.
1: Yeah. The, the, well, they they had actually they promised they would get three uh, percent more money each and every year, and then suddenly that changed. Was that uh, through a legislation? Did they just stop paying that? What what they just, about? They
0: they just stopped they just stopped paying it, and uh, some now some of the counties are talking about suing to try to get it back.
1: Mm. Okay, but they had guaranteed that there would be at least eighty percent occupation. So right. to make up for it, they just sent them more prisoners, and uh, right. so they made the same amount of money.
0: And so, in the last few weeks, now that the prison population is shrinking, mm-hmm. uh they started taking prisoners back to take them down to the eighty percent level it's a It's a reverse of what was happening ten years ago where everybody was fighting to offload prisoners because everybody was overcrowded. Now they're fighting uh to to keep their beds filled with with these bodies uh so that they can so that they can then be the ones that get the credit for the for the revenue that comes along with them.
1: And 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 are they simply allowed, as far as you can tell, to change the deal just because they're the state, or is is that the one of the point of contentions here that they they're may still, be suing over?
0: I mean, they're still meeting their eighty percent. Okay. Um, and the commissioner called the the deal a wink and a nod deal. You know, the above eighty mm. percent part, and and said that you know it's not. I'm not obligated to you know uh, you know to stick by any mm-hmm. wink and a nod deal that I didn't have anything to do with. Um, so if they want to fight for the 3%, then uh, they're going to have to go to
1: court over it. You write in your piece at Huffington Post, uh, Ryan Grimm, that uh, as the wave of mass incarceration, this is uh, the mass incarceration from the, uh, from the 80s and 90s under Reagan and Clinton and so forth, as that begins to recede, The Mississippi controversy has local and state officials talking openly about how harmful locking up fewer people will be for the economy confirming the suspicions you write of those who have argued that mass incarceration is not merely a strategy directed at crime prevention. This reminds me, uh, Ryan, remember the old uh, Twilight Zone uh, with the aliens uh, and that book uh, at the end and they say and the book is called To Serve Mankind and they realize at the end, oh it's a cookbook. That kind (laughs) of occurred to me here that people, that these uh, folks down in these southern states are suddenly saying wait a minute, this was never about crime crime. this is really about an alternate way of bringing in revenue to avoid having to raise taxes is 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 that what your your reporting is was telling you down there in Mississippi
0: yeah that's right and and the local officials are also talking quite openly about the about how this kind of exposes the the state and the federal government's conservatism as as bankrupt and as as not true conservatism because they so these let's say you're a Tea Party member on the uh, and you're a supervisor of a county mm-hmm. in Mississippi you're not very impressed by the the state legislators and the and the governor who are who are slashing taxes slashing spending and calling themselves conservatives and then uh just f- forcing the counties to pick up the tab which they do by raising property taxes and then by having prisoners pick up the the labor mm-hmm. in other words you've got prisoners picking up garbage you've got them doing the the groundskeeping for the schools, and uh, you know, and and cleaning cleaning mm-hmm. the highways, and you know, all of these jobs that in the seventies and eighties uh, or into the eighties were middle class jobs, you know, are now uh, being done uh, because the government's kind of trying to eliminate itself by this by this convict labor, and and the supervisors they call them supervisors down there, supervisors that I talk basically county commissioners that I talk to. Mm-hmm said yeah this is not conservatism don't 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 pretend that this is that this is conservatism.
1: Well, it's it certainly seems to be the the price, the cost of conservatism. I mean, when they continue to lower budgets, uh, to slash budgets, when they refuse to raise taxes to pay for services, it has to come from somewhere. And uh, yeah, that's that's where this is coming uh, from. It looks like there's two competing problems here, Ryan. Uh, you write about not just the uh, decreasing prison population because of eased sentencing and so forth, but also. Uh, well the private prisons how does that come into play here i understand they are now instead of sending the prisoners to the counties they're they're pushing them towards these private prisons instead because why they have contracts with the state that uh, the state is is more frightened of them than of the of the regional uh, and county jails
0: yeah i mean so this particular uh scandal that i wrote about involves at this point 602 prisoners that have been Transferred, and according to the police commissioner, I mean the prison commissioner, none of those have been sent directly to uh, the private prisons, Mm and instead are being put in the state penitentiaries. Uh, But and and the private prison confirmed that to me. But uh, to answer your other question, the reason that uh, the private prisons are doing so much better, they're they're better at writing contracts. They have much more. Uh, power when when it comes to lobbying the legislature and the governor mm-hmm. they have high, they have better lawyers than no offense to the you know stone county supervisor's council uh, but they just can 't compare with the high priced attorneys that private prisons have, and so they will have very tight contracts that are not going to let, let a fifth of the beds uh mm-hmm. go empty and if the beds do go empty, then the state is on the hook for uh tremendous fees and The other strange thing from the outside is that so the state, the the region, the local jails were charging twenty nine dollars seventy three cents a day Uh to to house folks. The uh, the private prisons charging roughly eighty dollars a day, and so uh, and that and all of that profit then is going to Utah, uh, which is where the the it's a mormon it's a mormon company right out of U- utah
1: oh i see. it's a it's a private company that the the, the, right. ha- the prisons are in mississippi but it's a a utah company exactly okay
0: right i mean they have they have uh prisons in many states but they run
1: mm-hmm.
0: um they run the ones in mississippi
1: right so uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean this. Yeah, it does not seem uh, conservative in the least, but it also ultimately seems to be a, a scam. I mean, are the the contracts with, with these private prisons? Do they also require X number of prisoners that there must be uh, a certain percentage of full beds as well? Yep.
0: Yes, and they're much stricter than than eighty percent. I don't I don't have the precise mm-hmm. contract uh, they're, because they're private. You can't get your hands on them.
1: Right. Um,
0: but but yes, they, typically a private prison uh, is is going to have, you know, very tight uh, requirements of what what the state is going to have to do. There's also kind of a, a strange loop going on here. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have, in order to uh, create jobs, mm-hmm. uh, you have you you went about and you eliminated. The f- formerly decent-paying jobs of groundskeeper, right. uh, garbage man, uh, you know, street cleanup—all you know—all of these blue-collar jobs that were once the backbone of of middle America—you eliminated them. Had prisoners do them, and then paid people to guard those prisoners. You know, you could. J- you know, I, I'm not a policymaker, but geez, I mean, you could just have the prison guards go pick up the garbage,
1: right? <laughs>
0: and go do the, the groundskeeping and the maintenance work of the schools. I mean, there's no... And then you'd have just as many uh, people employed. However, you'd have more unemployed um, because you'd have uh, a couple hundred people that were free Well, is that ra- one of, rather than imprisoned.
1: Is that one of the ways they, they sold this to these uh, counties? Hey, build this jail for us, and uh, you'll have uh, jobs for uh, prison guards and you'll have free labor on all of these other things. Was that part of yes. the the package?
0: Yes, and one of the uh one of the commissioners I talked to, supervisors I talked to said, "Look, we're going to have to go up on people's garbage bills if we don't have this free labor anymore." <laughs> um,
1: God forbid, they should just raise the taxes to pay for the services that they need,
0: which isn't something that they want to do and yeah. and they'd be do- and then they'd be stuck raising taxes while the Folks in Jackson take credit for being, you know, Tea Party heroes for cutting taxes.
1: Sure. And does the well, actually, I want to go back to one point you made a minute or two ago, Ryan. You said that the uh, the contracts because they're with private companies that the contracts are not available. Are you suggesting that even the uh, the public contracts that the states or the counties make with these private prisons are not uh, public records? Can That's can right, you, yeah. you can't FOIA for those contracts with these private prisons?
0: I, I just started on this last week. I haven't yeah. foiled for them. You could you could take them to court and try to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they could say there are, you know, that there are business methods that are being, you know, that are right, that need to be protected here. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. But, yeah, as of now, you can't get them.
1: Does all of this, Ryan Grimm, create uh, a a perverse incentive as you see it and as you're reporting out this story and talking to folks? Does this uh, create a perverse incentive to continue with arrests and convictions and so forth just to now try to keep these prisons full and and keep these various contracts?
0: It depends. And so this is where it gets weird. Mm -hmm. So so, if—so in 2014, one of the reasons that these— that the, they have a shrinking po- prison population there was some sentencing reform passed mm-hmm. that allowed a significant number of people to start getting released early like starting a couple years ago uh there's a, apparently there's a decently high as is common across the country recidivism rate mm-hmm. among those people but if they get arrested by uh the county mm-hmm. then the county ha- uh and the county locks them up in their county jail now yes they have they have more people in their prison, and they can uh, justify keeping the jobs, but they're on the hook for paying for that person, uh, rather than the state being on the hook uh, paying for it. So it gets really twisted. The you know the counties would much prefer that a state trooper um, wow. You know, arrest, wow arrest know arrest somebody. Um, so yeah, it's I think, and you're going to see a lot of these shrinking pains as you know, if mass incarceration does continue to recede, as the because the country's going to have to figure out a way to adjust its economy.
1: Well, that's what I wanted to get to in in our last minute or two here, Ryan Grimm. Both Republicans and Democrats, to some extent at least, have favored criminal justice reform of late. And so I'm wondering, as these problems that you highlight in your piece at Huffington Post on this, as this you know comes to light, will the recognition of these problems, uh, the lost revenue from the prison population, does that end up uh, putting curbs on, the, on that effort, at least on the Republican side, maybe on the Democratic side as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it would only be natural in the future if uh, Mississippi, for instance, tried to do more sentencing reform. I think you'd have some natural opponents mm-hmm. in, in, their, you know, in the people who would be losing the revenue from the regional jails. So, you know, certainly it does create, uh, w- you know, one more lobby for the status quo to continue.
1: We have seen this uh, the failure of uh, this type of uh, austerity in other conservative states of late, like uh, Louisiana and Kansas, where you've got sort of these unabated, uh, you know, Republican uh, governors, uh, legislatures who are doing whatever it is that they want as far as uh, what they believe to be conservative uh, policies and and they're failing. They're failing in a number of states, often just because they simply don't have the money to pay the bills and they refuse just to raise taxes. You know, a half a penny sales tax, will, you know, would solve some of these problems. So do you expect to see similar problems now in some of these other uh, states, uh, a lot of these southern states, you know, where, where they count on the, uh, the, you know, the prison industrial complex to pay the bills or is Mississippi alone here?
0: Well, part of it's a power play the you know the it's the state is the one um and uh, in a follow up story i did i have a full statement from the from the commissioner of the m d o c really attacking the counties so you have a county versus state battle going on here because it's the states uh that are that are hurting the most you know so they you know, you know the gr- whenever you're growing things mm-hmm. are good so if you're growing your prison population and you're building lots of jails and you know there's a, there's a nice economic feedback going on but once it plateaus um then it then it starts to uh then it starts to die and so the state is the one that is losing money and is incentivized to reduce its prison mm-hmm. population but to the extent that in Mississippi and other states those prisons um you know have been have been fueling local economies, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, they've got to figure out what they're going to do. New York State—it's not just the South. New York State, there are there are prisons that are a third or half full uh, that the state just can't close because they are they represent the political power center mm-hmm. in that particular upstate New York region. Wow. You know, they provide all these jobs, mm-hmm. and and, other, and so so sure, then they're a bulwark against reform at the same time.
1: Wow, Uh, and I think uh, particularly as we see criminal justice reform move forward, we're going to be hearing a lot more about about uh, problems related to exactly this. In the meantime, by the way, out here in California, we got more prisoners than we can. uh, We we've been ordered to empty the jails. So if there's all of those empty uh, prison space around the country, uh, I guess we can start sending them there. But, yeah, if you need spots, I know people. You do, yeah, I, guess, beds. I guess you do. You've got some connections. We will have yep. them contact you. Ryan Grimm, Washington Bureau Chief for the Huffington Post. Really appreciate your reporting here. I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on this because I think this is an important story, and I think we're going to hear more and more about it as, uh, as we move forward in the next year or two. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan. Check out his work at HuffingtonPost.com and, of course, on the Twitters at Ryan Grimm. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. (laughs) The stars
2: at night are big and bright, in the heart
1: of Texas. You love that, don't you?
2: Hang on, hold on, hold on.
1: I forgot that you are statutorily required to uh, to clap when oh, yeah. that song is played. Desi oh, Doyen, yeah. uh, who, uh, b- uh, born and raised in uh, the great state of Texas, the Lone Star State. Um, a-, a quick story, since we're running late, so just a quick story. Uh, some good news. You may or may not find this to be good news, Desi Doyen. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Uh, a group that advocates for Texas seceding... Ugh. Again? From the uh, yes, from the U.S., says at least 22 local Republican conventions have now passed resolutions uh, over the past month that calling for a vote on secession at the state convention, according to the Houston Chronicle. Ten of the counties confirmed to the paper that the resolutions passed at their conventions, but an official count is not expected until May. That goes to show the Texas national movement has gained some momentum since 2012 when a secession resolution passed at just one county convention, according to the paper. Um, A party committee will consider introducing the resolutions at the state GOP convention scheduled to take place in mid-May in Dallas, But secession is expected to be shot down at the convention, the newspaper reports.
2: Oh, that's too bad. I I think they should. I think they should try it. I think uh, there are a lot of folks in Texas who would be shocked and amazed to find out that this is something that actually has traction.
1: And to find out what they lose when they lose being a part of this country. Although, as I've said before, if this happens, if Texas secedes... I will be the first one in line finally calling to build that wall at the border (laughs) to keep those Texans out, out of our good country. I'd be okay with that.
2: Well, I think it would be awesome that we could, perhaps the U.S. Border Patrol could offer its services to Texas to help it protect its southern border, since I don't think they realize how expensive that actually is. Although
1: I just realized, Des, that would make you an illegal immigrant to uh, to the U.S. You'll have to go back to to where you came from oh, heavens. back to Texas <laughs> with you the the uh, secession issue, of course, has cropped up time and again in the Lone Star State. In December, Texas Republicans failed to pass a measure that would have asked residents whether they want to secede uh, on a ballot measure in, uh, in the state's primary. That ballot measure is not there, I'm sorry to say. Too bad. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled, however, according to TPM, back in uh, in 1869, the Supreme Court ruled that states don't have the right to secede.
2: Oh, pshaw. Contracts, schmonctracks. I know. Constitution. They're such patriots. They can't wait to
1: leave. And, you know, Republicans don't believe in stare decisis, the idea that, uh, you know, of established law. There is no established law. Just because the Supreme Court said it well over a hundred years ago doesn't mean it's true. So test them. Let's go, Texas. Please do us all a favor. Secede. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn, to Ryan Grimm of HuffingtonPost.com, to the real one, not the fake one, putting out the fake story of votes flipping in New York on Tuesday. My thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it at Bradblog.com for free. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com and you can find me on the facebook's and the twitter's at the brad blog. We will have a lot more on the new york primary on tomorrow's thrilling episode. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.